Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 3. And uh, after we have our study, we're going to have communion this morning. Um, So Habakkuk, um, I just want to give you a little bit of an introduction uh, for those of you that maybe weren't here when we started our study. Um, It's a unique book among the minor prophets, and what's unique about it is that it's basically a dialogue between the prophet Habakkuk and the Lord God. And uh, it's, it's really neat when we can see somebody pouring out their heart, asking tough questions of the Lord, and, and God doesn't smash them and say, oh, you know, why are you asking me that or ignoring it? Or we, get, we see the Lord's response. And I don't know about you, but there are times when I have tough questions to ask the Lord. Um, Habakkuk's name, it, it has to do with struggling, and, and Habakkuk is struggling with the Lord um, over some issues, and we'll, we'll discuss that this morning. But God is gracious, and God, God answers Habakkuk. And uh, what was Habakkuk struggling with? Well, he was struggling with the wickedness of the people of Judah. It was right towards the end of Judah's existence as a nation prior to the Babylonian captivity. Things had deteriorated very, very bad. And, and Habakkuk's looking around, and he's seeing all this wickedness. And he's like, Lord, don't you see this? Why are you allowing this to take place? That's his first question. It's found in chapter 1. Why do you not respond to all the wrong and the injustice that's going around in the land? And the Lord responds to Habakkuk. It's also in chapter 1. He basically says, and I'm paraphrasing, Habakkuk, I am working. I am working. I'm about to use the mighty Babylonian army as my tool of judgment against the wickedness of my people. Well, that wasn't exactly the answer that Habakkuk was looking for. And Habakkuk, it doesn't sit well with him. And so Habakkuk is really wrestling with what the Lord just told him. And so he asks a second question. He says, Lord, you're a holy God. You can't even look on evil. You're so holy. How can you use the wicked, evil Babylonians? They're much more wicked than the people of Israel, even though the people in Israel are in sin. But Why are you using a much more wicked group of people and you're giving them power, you're allowing them to to conquer places? Why are you doing that, Lord God? Why would you use extremely wicked and godless people as your tool of judgment against your very own people? But you know, at this point, Habakkuk, he trusts the Lord enough to realize that, you know, maybe I don't have all the answers. And, and maybe the Lord has a better understanding of what's going on. And so what Habakkuk says, and, and it's recorded in here, he says, you know, I, I'm going to just sit back, I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to wait. And I'm going to wait for the Lord to correct me. Uh, that's quite an attitude to have. You know, instead of being, you know, and, and put it this way, Habakkuk asked some really tough questions. They're honest, But they're tough questions because he's honestly grappling with this issue. But his questions aren't accusatory. In other words, he's not saying, God, you're evil and doing what... He's just saying, Lord, I I don't understand what's going on. But you know what? I know that you know. I know that you have a greater understanding of this. So I'm going to stand back. Lord, correct my thoughts. Help me to see it the way you see it. Boy, that's the way we really should be approaching the Lord. You can ask God any tough questions. 
You can cry out to the Lord. You, I'm, saying, I'm not going to encourage you to be angry at the Lord, but God's not you know, intimidated by your emotions or anything. You can pour out your heart. You can be emotional with the Lord. But I want you to just understand, be humble, though. Realize that you don't have all the answers. God does. And so that's what Habakkuk does. He sits back and waits for the Lord to correct his view. He really wants to see the things as the Lord sees them. And so in chapter 2, Habakkuk's heart, man, it's in the right place. It's in the right place. And so the Lord now is ready to reveal more to Habakkuk. And so the Lord answers Habakkuk. And he says, and again, I'm paraphrasing, he says basically, Habakkuk, let me tell you the end of the story. You're not even going to believe all the things that I'm going to do, but I have a plan and I have a purpose and my plan is going to come to pass, but it's not according to your timing, Habakkuk. It's not according to your timing, it's according to mine. I do see the heart of the proud and the wicked man. I I, I see what's going on. I see the hearts of these wicked people, but Habakkuk, and he says this one verse, That's it's a, it's a very foundational verse in Christianity, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Habakkuk, you're going to live by faith. You're not going to live by sight. And then he pronounces, the rest of the chapter 2, he pronounces woe against the Babylonians. The Lord, it's interesting, the Lord is going to use them as his tool of judgment, but because of their wickedness, in the end, they're not going to escape God's judgment either. I don't know about you, but have you ever asked the Lord why he is allowing something to take place? I mean, there's something in your life, you want him to move, you want him to do something, and it's like he's not responding. And you're crying out, and it's like it seems like the Lord is silent. I want you to understand this. The Lord is at work. He is at work. You just may not see it or understand it. The Lord has a plan and a purpose for all that he is doing. Now, much to Habakkuk's dismay, the Lord allowed the Babylonians to come to power. They became a world empire. They conquered nations. They, God gave them so much. He, he raised them up, basically, and he used them to dish out punishment against the nation of Judah. But you know what? The Lord was working through that plan and purpose, not only for the nation of Judah, because he was doing, he was refining them, he was punishing them for their idolatry, but he was also doing something to the Babylonians themselves. Something that, that Habakkuk wouldn't have even understood. Because later on, the Lord would reveal his majesty and dominion to the Babylonians through a very young Hebrew captive by the name of Daniel. Daniel, you know, one of the captives. They conquered Jerusalem, the captives went, and this young Hebrew man named Daniel entered into Babylon's into the Babylonian court, basically, and, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar met him. And the Lord would humble King Nebuchadnezzar in the course of interacting, in the course of the captivity, to the point where it's entirely possible that Nebuchadnezzar became a worshiper of Jehovah. He got, he, I mean, he just, he was humbled. And Daniel, not only, did, not only did those two things occur, but Daniel would be influential in sparing the lives of the Chaldean magi- magicians. Remember, they, they were the ones that couldn't interpret the dreams, and so Nebuchadnezzar says, you're all going to die. <laughs> and Daniel interceded and said, no, don't, don't, don't kill these guys. I'll give you an answer. And he went and he prayed. They fasted, and he came back, and he gave an answer to Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. And so he spared the lives of those magicians. Daniel would profoundly impact the wise men of the Babylonian Empire to the point 
that generations later, when we get to the Gospels, there's wise men that come from the East following a star. They were astrologers, they, or astronomers, and they, they saw the star. They were following this star to, to come and to worship the king of the Jews. How would they have known that? Well, they, they was brought, that tradition was brought to them, that knowledge was brought to them through Daniel and the influence of Daniel. See, Habakkuk had no idea that God was doing all these things. And so often when we're crying out to the Lord, it's like, Lord, why aren't you doing something? And, and God's just saying, I am doing something, but you wouldn't even believe what I'm doing. I'm working in your life, but I'm also working in this other situation for other people's benefits. And so the Lord's response to Habakkuk in chapter 2 is, Habakkuk, I hear what you're saying, but you have no idea all that I'm going to accomplish through this coming Babylonian invasion. That, that's chapter 1 and chapter 2, basically, very heavily paraphrased. But that brings us to chapter 3, which is the last chapter in the book of Habakkuk this morning. And chapter 3 is basically, it's a psalm of prayer, of prayer and worship. Uh, it says upon the Shigioneth, or Shigioneth, whatever it is. It's a musical term that nobody really knows what it means, but they understand that it's something to do with music. And so this is really a psalm that Habakkuk wrote here, this last chapter. And chapter 3 starts out with a request, and then it moves to reflection, and from there to remembering, and finally it ends with resolve. And so Habakkuk chapter 3, let's take a look at it, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. Habakkuk heard the Lord's response. I mean, the Lord's telling him all these things he's going to do, and it made Habakkuk afraid. Now, the word afraid, right away you get this idea in your head what it means, but it, it doesn't only mean fear, but it also means respect and reverence. You know, it's a good thing to have reverence, respect, and yes, even fear of the Lord. The Bible has an awful lot to say about the fear of the Lord. The Bible tells us the fear of the Lord, it's the beginning of wisdom. I mean, that's where wisdom starts. It's the beginning of knowledge. In Psalm 25, verse 14, it says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. God reveals things to those who fear him. Proverbs 14.26, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. If you fear the Lord, if you truly fear the Lord, you're not going to want to sin. You're not going to want to offend the Lord if you truly fear the Lord. Proverbs 15, verse 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Proverbs 24, uh, 22, verse 4, excuse me. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. You know, Abraham, he's the father of our faith, right? He's the father of the faith. It's interesting, you know, the, the Muslims actually revere Abraham because Ishmael, you know, they're descended from Ishmael. And so they, they see their lineage back to Abraham. The Jews see themselves through their lineage to Abraham and Christians by faith. We see our lineage by faith to Abraham, right? It's interesting. Abraham, you know, the greatest test of Abraham's faith was when God had finally, he had promised a son, and 
Abraham was around 100 years old, roughly, somewhere around there, and, he, and Isaac was born. And then God says, okay, I want you to take that son, and I want you to sacrifice that son to me. Now, can you as a parent imagine the sacrifice? I mean, you've been your only child. You've waited decades. Your only child. It's a promised child. God's going to bless you. through. And then God says, I want you to offer him up to me as a sacrifice. That's a, that's a great test of faith. Well, Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac because he believed God. And it proved to God, the Bible says, listen to this, it proved to God that Abraham feared him. And because of that, God called Abraham his friend. Fear the Lord, man. I tell you, it's a good thing to have. The Hebrew midwives back in Egypt, you know, they wanted to, or they they were told by Pharaoh, hey, kill all the male Hebrew children. There's too many of them, wipe them out, kill them all. And and it says that the Hebrew midwives, they disobeyed Pharaoh and spared the Hebrew babies because they feared the Lord. And because they feared the Lord, man, the Lord blessed those Hebrew midwives. So the fear of the Lord is a good thing. And so now in reverence, respect, and fear of the Lord, Habakkuk starts to make a request. And it's a request of the Lord in prayer. And the first thing he requests is a prayer for revival. He says, O oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. I, th- I find that kind of interesting. Revive your work in the midst of the years. You see, the people of Israel had feared the Lord. They were God's children. They, they were, they were the, you know, when they came into the promised land, they said, man, we're going to obey you, Lord God. In the beginning, they did well. But over time, they had drifted from the Lord. And of course, now they're on the brink of God's judgment because of their sin and their rebellion. And, and Habakkuk is saying, Lord, revive, bring, bring revival. And, and so Habakkuk is praying for revival. And notice, the revival is God's work, not ours. Well, how does it come about? Well, it comes about through humility to begin with, and the fear of the Lord, and through prayer. And I don't know how many of you have prayed for revival, or, man, this nation needs revival. Every time I look at the news, it's like, man, we need a revival in this nation. Well, you know, revival, it needs to start in your and my own life first. That's the first place revival needs to start before we can expect it to spread to our families and our communities. So our prayer should be, Lord, revive me. I need a revival, Lord. I I need to be humble. I need to have that fear of the Lord. And so Habakkuk here prays for revival. He knows judgment is coming. I mean, after all, God said, hey, it's, gonna, it's coming. It's, it's going to come. And so he knows judgment is coming. And so he also prays, Lord, in judgment, remember mercy. Man, be merciful, Lord God. And then in verses 3 through 7, Habakkuk now reflects on God's glory and his power. Verse 3, God came from Teman the Holy One from the Mount Paran, Selah. That's like a pause, a reflection, basically. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from His hand, and there His power was hidden. Before Him went pestilence, and fever followed at His feet. Now in verse 3, Teman was the grandson of Esau. Esau was the father of the Edomites. So when you read Teman here, it's not necessarily referring to the man who was the grandson of Esau, but it's referring to the Edomites or to the nation or the land of Edom. And Paran was a desert where Israel, or excuse me, where Ishmael set her. Ishmael was a son of Abraham, right? The Israelites traversed through the wilderness of Paran on their way to the promised land. 
So what is Habakkuk saying here? Well, I think he's partially reflecting on what the Lord did in the past when he brought the children of Israel through Edom, through the wilderness of Paran, into the promised land. But he also seems to be looking forward prophetically into the future when the Lord returns to earth after the great tribulation. It's known as glorious appearing. That's described in Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6. It describes him coming from Edom to Jerusalem. For some reason, that's the path that the Lord's going to take um, at the end of the tribulation. Uh, In Zechariah 14, verse 3 through 5, it describes him setting his feet on the Mount of Olives, which is east of Jerusalem. In Matthew 24, verse 27, Jesus is talking about the last days, and he likens his coming to lightning that flashes in the east and is viewable from the west. So for some reason, and so it seems like Habakkuk is reflecting prophetically on what is God is going to do when Jesus Christ returns. You know, in your and my reflections, you know, sometimes it's good to just sit back and reflect. And it's so important for you and I to recall what the Lord has done in our past. Because it'll give you faith for what he's going to do in your future. It's so important. It's, it's, it's bedrock important to reflect you know, because sometimes we face things, you know, maybe you get a, a notice from a doctor that, you know, your health is not as, you know, it's really serious. You've got a, a serious issue. Or maybe you're facing a financial issue or, or a family issue. Something major is, it's, it's this mountain in front of you. It's hard to look beyond things like that. Well, I want to encourage you to look back first. Man, you know what? I faced another obstacle in my life. It was tremendous and, and God delivered me. Man, I know he's gonna. He's. I know he's gonna deliver me through this because he's done it in the past. He's faithful, so it's so important to reflect on the past, as as well as the future, and it gives you hope and faith for the future. And then look at verse four. He says, "His brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hands." Now, horns in the Bible is a symbol of power. So he had power in his hands. It's interesting because if you go to the end of the book, the end of the Bible, Revelation 1.16, John has a vision of Jesus in his glory. And he sees that Jesus is standing there and he's holding seven stars in his right hand. We won't go into what that represents until we get to the book of Revelation later. Um, but his countenance, it says, is like the sun shining in its strength. So it, it seems to be Habakkuk here is also looking prophetically forward. And as Habakkuk continues reflecting on the Lord's glory and power, verse 5, verse 5 he says, Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in afflict. Excuse me. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. Verse 6 there, he stood and measured the earth. Now Habakkuk could be prophetically looking to the event that's also described in Revelation 10 verse 2. In Revelation 10 verse 2, it talks about when the Lord is going to set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. And then he's going to claim the earth as his possession. And then he says later on here, it says, And the everlasting mountains were scattered, the perpetual hills bowed. Um, again, Habakkuk could be prophetically looking forward to the events described in Revelation 6, 12 uh, through 17, where it says, it says, every mountain and island are moved out of its place. 
So, you know, Habakkuk's reflecting on God's glory and God's power. Now, Cushan, it's most likely referring to Cush, or Cush, excuse me. Um, he was the son of Ham. And uh, the land of Cush is kind of like northern Africa, or North Africa in that area. Midian was a son of Abraham by Keturah. And uh, his, the Midianites were a nomadic people. And if you remember the Midianites, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness... It was the Midianite women that led the children of Israel, the men of the children of Israel, astray. Remember when Balak was trying to curse them? And uh, he couldn't curse them because God wouldn't let Balaam, the prophet, curse them. But then later on, they learned, Balak learned from Balaam, hey, if you want to get the Israelites, man, just bring the women and, uh, you know, you'll seduce them. They'll intermarry. You'll have, you know, you'll have all these covenants and then they won't be an enemy to you anymore. And that's what they did. And so the Midianites... They were uh, used to uh, really lead the children of Israel astray. Now, those nations at one time, they all seem so strong, but in reality, they're weak compared to God's strength. And so not only is God more powerful than all the nations, Habakkuk is reflecting on this, but these nations came and went. You know, even the everlasting mountains and the perpetual hills are moved. I mean, everything that you think is secure in life, it's not, except for God. God is secure. God is everlasting. And so in Habakkuk's reflection of the Lord, it's important to remember that the things of this world, the powers that be, even the earth itself is temporary and passing away. There's only one who's everlasting, and it's the Lord and his ways. And you know, it's easy for us to lose focus, isn't it? We can get so caught up in the things of this life that we can lose folk and say, you know what, (laughs) I'm so engulfed or or whatever the word is. I'm so involved in this, engrossed, that's the word I was thinking. I'm so engrossed in this, and yet in reality, this is temporary. It's going to burn someday. Why am I pouring out so much effort and energy and time into this thing, whatever it is? It reminds me of what Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, verse 1 through 3. He says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk without money and without price. And this is the thing. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Why do you do that? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear to incline your ear and come to me. Here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you the sure mercies of David. It's like the Lord saying, why, why are you focusing on that? Focus on me. Focus on what's eternal. And so Habakkuk's reflecting on God's glory and God's power, and now Habakkuk moves to remembering God's judgment against sin and wickedness. Verse 8, O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Your bow or your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. Selah. You divided the earths with excuse me, you divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by, the deep uttered its voice and lifted its hand on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went, at the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. 
You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare the from foundation to neck, Selah. You thrust through with his own arrows the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walk through the sea with your horses through the heap of great waters. This is a very interesting passage here. Some of these verses, again, could be Habakkuk remembering what God did in the past. In verses 8 through 10, that could be referring to when the Lord parted the Red Sea, when he allowed the children of Israel to escape, remember, and, and Pharaoh and his army and the chariots, they, went, they, they followed after him, and they got into the middle of the Red Sea, and God closed up the water, and they all drowned. He saved the children of Israel at the Red Sea, and he judged Pharaoh and his troops there. So Habakkuk could be remembering God's judgment in that scenario. Verse 11 could be a reminder of Joshua 10, verses 12 through 14. That's when the Lord caused the sun and the moon to stand still for one day while the children of Israel fought the Amorites. It said, let me read this to you. It's in Joshua 10, verse 13. It says, So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. And so Habakkuk could be remembering that, God's judgment against the Amorites in that thing. But then again, there's a complete fulfillment at the end of the millennium when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Now verse 12, I think is probably referring to the great tribulation when God's wrath and indignation is poured out on a Christ-rejecting world because notice it says that he threshes, he threshes the heathen there in verse 12. He threshes the heathen, heathen not his people. Remember when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? He came and he said, Lot, he sent his angels basically to, to get Lot and, and his wife and children to get them out of there. And they said, We can't destroy this until you're out of there. And they literally had to grab him and kind of like violently pull him out of there to get him out because Lot was kind of dilly dallying, you know, like, Oh, you know, and his daughters. And it was just like, they're like, No, you need to go. Destruction's coming. That's a picture, I think, of the rapture of the church. That God is removing his people out before he pours out his wrath against a Christ-rejecting world. Because you see, you and I are not appointed for wrath. We're appointed for salvation. And so Habakkuk could be reflecting on that, remembering on God's judgment. In verses 13 and 14, it says, You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck. That word, you're anointed, it's referring to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The head from the house of the wicked, well, that could be the Antichrist, or it could be Satan, or probably both. One thing that I found in this passage of Scripture, there's, there's a lot of repeated words that kind of, they, you can clump them together into kind of like categories. Um, there's a lot of words with respect to God's judgment of wicked people and the salvation of his people. Listen to this. There's displeased, wrath, anger, indignation. Those words occur in those verses more than once, and it describes, I think, the wrath of God's judgment. Habakkuk's remembering the wrath of God's judgment. 
And then he mentions horses, chariots, bows, arrows, spears. Well, he's remembering the weapons of God's judgment. Those are all weapons. Those are, those are military things. And then he mentions rivers, sea, water, deep. It, I think it describes the scope of God's judgment. So, so Habakkuk's just looking, man, God is he's awesome. And his, his wrath, when it's poured out, look out. And he's, he's getting this, this great understanding and great appreciation for God's wrath. Salvation there appears three times. Habakkuk has been reminded that God will ultimately save his people and God will ultimately judge all wickedness. So if you can just get the picture, Habakkuk, you know, he's in prayer, he's been worshiping the Lord, he's crying out, and and now he's just reflecting on the Lord's glory and his power. Now he's reflecting or he's remembering God's judgment both past and what's going to happen in the future. And look at verse 16. The result, man, it causes Habakkuk to tremble. I don't know about you, but sometimes you think about the lost people around us, the people that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're like, well, you know what? I believe in Jesus and they don't. I guess, you know, they have the right to do that. You know, don't you ever just fear what they're going to be facing, the wrath of God? Habakkuk, verse three, chapter 3, verse 16, when I heard... My body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself, that I might rest in the day of trouble when he comes up to the people. He will invade them with his troops. When you and I think about God's wrath being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world, it should cause us to shudder. It should cause us to weep and mourn over those who are falling headlong into an eternity separated from him, from Christ. Habakkuk trembled at the thought of God's ultimate judgment against the Babylonians. But you know what? It also gave him a peace and tranquility. Why? Because God's in control. God's in control. And, and back in, in chapter 2, it says, God is on the throne, or the end of chapter 1, I think is, God is on the throne, let all the earth keep silent before him. Habakkuk gets it. Man, God's in control. Remember Habakkuk's first question? Why does all the wickedness take place and you don't seem to be doing anything about it, Lord? Well, now he understands that God has a plan and a purpose. Even in the Babylonians coming to power and giving, being given world domination. And that leads to the final portion of the Psalm of Habakkuk. And that's his resolve. His resolve to trust God in all things. Look at verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines... Though the labor of the oil may fail and the, yield, and the field yields no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high hills to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. What a great verse of faith in the Old Testament, isn't it? It's similar to what Job said in chapter 13, verse 15. And I don't know how many of us could say this, but listen to what Job says. Though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. Wow, that, that kind of flies on the face of the prosperity doctrine, right? You know, Though he slay me, yet I'm going to trust him. See, what Habakkuk is saying here at the end of this chapter, Lord, I understand now that you're in control regarding the Babylonians. I understand you have a plan and a purpose. 
And I understand that part of that judgment may result in me losing everything when the Babylonians come in here. When they wipe out everything, I may lose house and home, and and you know we're gonna. It's gonna be terrible. I I I I I believe that that may happen, and even if that happens, I'm resolved to trust in you, Lord. You notice he doesn't say, "I will rejoice that you take away everything." How many of you like praise the Lord when you get a flat tire, or your car breaks down, or something happens? You know, it's like praise the Lord for this flat tire. Sometimes we think if we do that, you know, then we're really spiritual. It's not. We're not to rejoice over those bad things that happen. What we're to rejoice in, we're to rejoice in God Himself. Even if everything is taken away, I'm going to rejoice in you, Lord. You know, I think it's only through trials and tribulations when you can get to that point where it's like, you know what? I've lost everything, but Lord, I I have you. I have you. That's so important. I like what F.B. Meyer said. If all God's gifts failed, he would still possess the giver. Man, if God, you, you don't have to give me anything. Just give me you. That's all. I just need you. My relationship with you. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm kind of I'm going through the Bible again, um, reading it on my own devotions, and I'm kind of in the point where I just finished the, the area where the tribes of Israel, when they get into the promised land, they're, giving, they're being given their inheritances, right? The different portions, the tribe of Reuben and, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and Gad, they, they went on the one side of the Jordan River, the others were on the side they were supposed to be on, the other side of the Jordan River. And uh, all the tribes are getting this land, and, and it's their inheritance, basically. But God says, hey, there's one tribe you're not going to give any land to, and that's the Levites. That was the tribe of the priests. God says, they don't, they don't get any of that that you guys are getting. Why? He says, I'm their inheritance. I'm their portion. I, I find that interesting because, you know, the New Testament tells you and I that we're a kingdom of priests. You and I are priests to the Lord. And so... It's like, the God, it's like God is telling us, you know, you may not get everything in this world that you think you deserve or the thing that you want, but, but you know what? I'm your portion. I'm your inheritance. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. It's not what we have that is our strength, but it's who we have. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, you know, God doesn't promise you that everything is going to be great in your life here on earth. He doesn't promise you that you're, you're going to be healthy always. He doesn't promise you that you're always going to have wealth. But you know what? God has promised to never forsake or never to leave us. We have a relationship with, you know, and, and this isn't our home, folks. Our home is in heaven. And that is one thing that God is promising. God is faithful, and he won't take that away from you. And so this morning, you know, Habakkuk, he's reflecting on all these things that God, how great God is. He's remembering God's judgment. And then he says, you know what, Lord? I trust you. I trust you. I trust in, I I don't get the big picture, but I trust you. And I, I don't care what happens, Lord, as long as I have you in my life. That's all that matters. Why don't you stand up this morning? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Let's, let's just re- respond in prayer to the Lord regarding this. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this reminder 
of Habakkuk's faith. And Lord, I just, I don't know where each one of us is at this morning. I don't know if some of us are struggling this morning, struggling with what's going on in our lives, not understanding why things are the way they are, maybe wishing and praying and pleading with you that things would change and it seems like nothing's happening. Lord, I pray this morning that we would trust and know that you are at work and that you have a plan and a purpose that on this side of eternity we may never understand. But Lord, you're weaving something that just is beautiful, Lord, for eternity. And Lord, that we would just trust you in that. And Father, I pray for each and every person here this morning that they have a personal relationship with you, Lord Jesus. It doesn't matter what happens, Lord. We're so safe, well, we think we're so safe here in the United States, and yet, Lord, we're starting to see some terroristic activities. But, Lord, I think of the believers in other countries that are losing everything. But, Lord, they haven't lost their faith in you. They haven't lost their relationship with you. And, Lord, I just pray that we would have that appreciation, that understanding in our own hearts and our own lives this morning. And so we thank you for the blessing of this chapter, Lord. We thank you this reminder. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.